as the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John the Baptist, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray. O God, use your servant's lips that as my words are joined with your people's hearts, the seed of your word might be planted and brought forth with a resurrection joy. Amen and amen. Today, we are considering baptism as a gift, this gift that God gives to us and to the church, this gift that Jesus himself received because, not because he was a sinner in need of pardon, but because he identifies with us in every way. He identifies with us in the pains of childhood growing up and learning to walk while stumbling. He identifies with us by by going through puberty. Jesus identifies with us by dying physically the kind of death that we at some point will follow. Jesus identifies fully with us in this gift, this gift of baptism. I want to point out that there is in this scene an image of the Trinity. We get to see in this scene the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all working together. Now, from about the 1200s until now, uh, one of the great images of the Trinity is this. It's called uh, the, the shield of the Trinity. And so when I, as a Christian, talk about God, I am talking about this entire threeness and oneness. When I am talking about God, I am talking about the God who is the unity we see here, but is also the Trinity. One God, three persons. And so the the shield of the Trinity allows us to visually depict the, the entire Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The unity of God while recognizing that the Father is not the Son, The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. But the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. So in Holy Week, people will say things like, well, if Jesus is God, who's he praying to? Well, if you pay attention to the wholeness, the unity of the Godhead, it is God the Son, who is God, is praying to God the Father, who is God, 
but it is God the Son and God the Father who are not identified entirely with each other as persons of the Trinity. So how does this play out now? I mean, this is now that we've gotten so confused over this, but pay attention to this because it works. It shows you how much of a beautiful picture there is of God in the Scriptures and how if we didn't have the Trinity, we would have to come up with the Trinity because there's so much that, that doesn't work if God is not Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is why God can be said to be love. If God is love... To love requires someone to do the loving and someone to receive the loving. So before God created anything, if God is not Trinity, God can't be love. But before God ever created anything, God is love. Why? Because there is love between this never-beginning, never-ending dance. There is love of the Father for Son, of the Son for Father, of the Spirit for Father and Son, etc. So in this scene from Luke, it is the Son, Jesus, who presents himself for baptism to John. It is the Spirit who descends upon Jesus in bodily form as a dove. And it is the Father who speaks. You are my Son, the Beloved with you, I am well pleased. Now, unless you, or le- lest you think this is something that's only in the New Testament, this, this kind of triunity of God, let's go back to Isaiah chapter 42 and pay attention to, in this one verse, the three different persons that are referenced here. Isaiah is speaking on behalf of the God of Israel. Here is my the Father's servant, the Son, whom I, the Father, uphold, my chosen, in whom my, the Father's soul delights. I, the Father, have put my spirit, the third person of the Trinity, upon him, and he, the Son, will bring forth justice to the nations. So when we think about Jesus, when we think about the baptismal scene, what we really are thinking about in one way is this spirit-filled life. That this is one moment in a life of Jesus that is absolutely spirit-filled. The spirit descends upon him like a dove, and yet we know that it didn't start there. Let's just follow Luke's ideas here for a while. We'll, we'll eventually jump into John for a second. But here's Luke's ideas as we talk about the, the Holy Spirit. Luke tells us, the angel says to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. and The power of the Most High will overshadow you. and Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. So even before the conception of Jesus... In Mary's womb, the Holy Spirit is working in the ministry of Jesus. Back to our text for today. When all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized, the heaven was open and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and the Father's voice was heard from heaven. You are my Son, the Beloved, With you, I am well pleased. 
One of the beautiful things about Christianity is that we get to see this symbolism everywhere. We get to understand that God presents himself to us in this world. And as the rain was pouring, pouring, pouring in the other building, and I heard it, I I think to myself, as I hear the water flowing off of the roof, we are a baptized people, and the water into which we were baptized is, is flowing all over the world. When you are hiking and stand next to a stream and dip your hand into the water, the cool water, the imagery there, I am one of the people who is in covenant with God. I am baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then there's the image of the dove. The image of the dove that you can see as you're sitting out on your back deck and wonders if you disappeared, if anybody would notice. And then suddenly a dove comes and alights on the railing of your deck. Is it coincidence? Maybe. Is it God? Probably. But in any case, God has given us this symbol that we see out in the world. God has given us this symbol of the dove to represent His presence with us, to represent this spirit that is accompanying us along the journey. So, before the conception of Jesus, the Spirit was at work in His ministry. At the baptism of Jesus, the Spirit was at work in His ministry. And then, full of the Holy Spirit, He returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where there is temptation. Don't think that being filled by the Spirit means everything will go your way. Jesus, filled by the Spirit, preached to the folks in Nazareth and they tried to throw him over a cliff. Jesus, filled with the Spirit, spoke the truth to the world and was crucified. Paul, in the influence of the Holy Spirit, interpreting the Christian faith, gives his life. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, is led into the wilderness. Now, after the resurrection... Look at how Luke uses these same images. While staying with them after the resurrection, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water. You recognize this? But you, the church, will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This spirit that descended on Jesus is the same spirit that draws us together as a church. This spirit that descended on Jesus is the same spirit that brings us to an awareness of the saving grace of God. And Peter, in the very next chapter, picks up where Jesus leaves off. And Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Notice that language. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes as a gift, not as a reward. 
Not as confirmation that everything you think is right. Not as compensation for a job well done. The Spirit is a gift. Now, there's some question about how the Spirit should be referred to. The Spirit is uh, the, the mysterious third person of the Trinity. And a lot of people say things like, it came at Pentecost. Now, there's some truth there. It came at Pentecost. But the Spirit isn't an it, like a rock or a stick. The Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. It's a he. William Abraham, the great evangelical Methodist scholar, would, would consistently call the Spirit she, because in the, in the Greek language, it's the one aspect of God that is, that is often left rather grammatically mysterious. I'd say he or she is preferable to it. Because the Spirit is personal. The Spirit is a gift, but it's a personal gift. It is a gift, but it is the gift of God's presence. The Holy Spirit is the gift of a person. And it is a gift that is more accurately described as the gift of God, the gift of God giving himself to us. And so Luke says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give his Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So the question is, what does this baptismal scene answer for us about Jesus? What is it that we know about Jesus after we have examined this baptismal scene than we may not have known or that we may not have known before? Well, it gives us some specific information about the identity of Jesus. Jesus is the one who was announced by the prophets. He's the one who was announced by the Scriptures even as early on as Genesis chapter 3 when, you know, the man and the woman had this conversation with a serpent that changed the history of the world. God says to the serpent, there will be enmity between humanity and between your reptilian selves. You will strike his heel. He will crush your head. Jesus is the one announced by the prophets, by the the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 42. He is the servant upon whom God's spirit rests. He is the one identified by the Father. You are my beloved. And to those of us who are listening, we hear it in the third person. This is my beloved. Listen to him. And he is one on whom the Spirit rests in this pivotal moment. So, who are we as baptized believers? And if you've not been baptized, see me or see John, and uh, we'll be happy to talk you through what this sacrament 
is and how it brings us into uh, the body of Christ in beautiful and powerful ways. Who are we as, as baptized believers? Well, we have the gift of the knowledge of Jesus. And we accept the testimony of John the Baptist who says, one is coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I'm not even worthy of taking off or putting on his shoes. You know, it's an intimate thing when somebody takes off and puts off your shoes, takes off and puts on your shoes. Something that, you know, I had knee surgery recently. I went to the, to the doctor and I had these shoes on because they're really easy to get on. But I couldn't put them on and I'm sitting there and I'm waiting to pay. You know, now I'm there in the line. They're six feet and six feet and six feet. And you think, you know, you're 92 feet from the place where you're going to pay. And, and my shoe is not on properly. And I'm sitting there just kind of wrangling around. And, and th- this nurse comes by and says, here, let me help you with that. And I'm embarrassed. Don't touch my shoes. I'm sorry. I can get it on in another hour and 12 minutes. We believe the testimony of John. That Jesus is this awaited one. And we believe the testimony of the Father. This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. And we live empowered by the Holy Spirit recognizing the gift of God's personal presence that accompanies us. Now, I love the way Luke puts this. I love it because I can think of so many ways as a father full of mischief uh, that I might fail at my fatherhood. But Jesus says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. This invitation to ask and to search and to knock. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds and for everyone who knocks the door will be opened. And then he uses this parent-child metaphor. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will you give a scorpion? So I'm picturing large stockings filled with mousetraps that have been set. No, we don't do that. A good aunt or a good uncle doesn't do that. A good father or grandmother doesn't, doesn't do that. Although now I've given you an idea, which I imagine siblings will be more likely to do to each other than, uh, than fathers and, uh, and children. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who asked him. Do you have the Holy Spirit? A lot of us tend to think of that as a kind of feeling inside, and if we, if we have a headache and don't feel the right way, we're tempted to think, oh, God's not with me. God is far bigger than a feeling. If our hips are hurting and the arthritis is flaring up, we wonder if, if God is with us. If we, imperfect as we are, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the good gift of the Holy Spirit 
to those who ask him for it. We went to New Orleans back in the summer. That was our summer vacation. We don't usually take summer vacations. Usually we go somewhere in the spring or the fall. One of my children took two weeks to pack. Now he didn't have like a whole lot of stuff. He just packed well. The rest of us took two hours the night before and threw a bunch of stuff together. It may or may not surprise you that I have an exhaustive list of about 260 things that I, that I at least check through. So we're in New Orleans, we're at the aquarium, and the rain is absolutely pouring down. The aquarium is closed, we're out underneath the eave of the aquarium, and, and the, it's raining so hard that it's splashing on us from out there. And we stand there for 20 minutes, and I thought to myself, well, I just wish I had an umbrella or a poncho. I just sat there, sat there, and finally I said it out loud. I said, if only I had a poncho. Madison reached back in his backpack, and he said, you mean one of these? I thought, you've been standing here for 25 minutes with me, and I'm just now realizing that you have a poncho. No one will ever question his preparedness in the future. How many things do we not have because we don't ask for them? How many times do we need guidance and want God's guidance but simply don't take the time to say, Lord, I need your help here. I'm really struggling between these two options. How many times is what we need right where we are? But we don't take the opportunity to ask, to seek, to knock. The Holy Spirit. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and will remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not let them be afraid. Remember what Peter says. Repent and be baptized. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God's gift. God is the giver. And God gives himself. Will you receive the self-offering of God today? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.